Hi and welcome to the podcast Invest in You. Today we're going to be doing another interview but first of all who is on the podcast? Well starting off with me I'm uh, Charlie Sandval and who else? I'm Ivan Sandval and I'm Frederick and today we've got a very special guest. Who are you? Hi there I'm Richard Newman. I am the founder of Body Talk and uh, author of the book You Were Born to Speak and uh, I've been training clients all over the world for the last uh, 20 years now uh, working uh, with uh, business communication skills, also showing them about business storytelling, mindset, and helping them perform at their best in the key moments of life. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we, we work with lots of people at different stages of their career. Uh, Ivan, just to give uh, Richard a, a flavor of what we do on the podcast, can you recall the last episode which we talked about free solo, Ivan? Oh yeah, we were actually talking about, we, it was just us three, and we were talking about our learnings from watching the documentary Free Solo, which is basically a guy that climbs a really, really, really high wall without ropes. Right. And how he builds up to do it. Yeah. Exactly. So the, the podcast audience is very much uh, young entrepreneurs and also more senior entrepreneurs. So we've got various audience. So people following me, and then we've got people following even Charles. So you will have a very mixed audience. So the, bear that in mind. So you've got people in okay. different stages. So yeah. Uh, tell us more about uh, what, what, how do you end up working with uh, speaking? Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a long story. So, uh, effectively, it started off where when I was much younger, I, uh, if we start right from the beginning, uh, when I was about four years old, I was really sort of happy where I was, uh, apparently skipping to school, really enjoying life. And then around about my fifth birthday, I moved to a new school. And I remember being excited. It's my first big memory in life, being really excited, meeting the new teacher, going to the new school. And uh, about halfway through that day, I remember uh, looking at the kids either side of me and trying to get into conversation with them and finding that they were just sort of ignoring me or giggling or turning away. And I tried to speak to some other kids and I got the same reaction and started to feel like there was this bubble around me that I just couldn't connect with the people um, all around and got really upset. And the teacher came over and said, don't worry, this is all fine, it's totally normal. It's just because it's your first day at school. And I had a sister who was two years older than me. And so she'd moved to that school the same time as me. And so on the lunch break, I'd gone out to go and try and find her and, um, and, and saw her just happily playing uh, with other kids. And I thought, ah, oh, well, she's been able, this is her first day too. She's been able to make friends and I haven't connect with other people. I can't communicate with other people or however I used it, whatever language I had around the age of five. Yep. I just thought there's something wrong with me. I can't connect. And that really stayed with me for, for many years uh, up until I was just about to leave uh, my education, sort of the GCSEs, A-levels around about the age of 18, where I suddenly decided just to get on top of this and to really uh, make some changes. And I decided I must get good at communication. I, I for too long thought that I wasn't good at it, but thought I must get good at this. And so uh, I then uh, decided I wanted to do something good for the world. I'd had a you know a nice upbringing, nice home, nice education. So I decided that I would go somewhere very different. And so I went uh, aged 18 to India, up to a very remote area in the Northeast, uh, to a place called Kalimpong, uh, which is about three and a half hours, four hours drive from Darjeeling, if you know the Darjeeling tea. And I was living there in this Tibetan monastery, teaching English to Tibetan monks. Yeah. And so I was going to be living in the monastery for six months. And uh, the reason this involved things along the lines of the communication that I now teach is that when I got there, I, I found out that the monks couldn't speak any English. And so I had to figure out, well, how 
for the next six months, how am I going to live there, teach them how to speak English when there's no common language between us? So they mm. spoke Tibetan, Nepali, and Hindi. I spoke a bit of French and German, but we had no common language. <laughs> so how would we do this? And so very quickly, we realized that through body language and tone of voice, we could communicate a huge amount. And so by the end of the six months that I was living with them, they were then able to uh, have a really good conversation with me in English. I'd learned how to speak Nepali, which I learned better than German, which I'd studied for four years at school. I was pretty fluent by then. Uh, and so I took away from it the sense that even when you have no use of words, no common language, you can connect with people on a deeper, richer level and communicate a huge amount. And yep. so I came back to the UK. I then studied acting for three years, which had been a sort of secret side passion of mine for, for many years. And I found that at acting school, it's quite different than what most people think. It's not about sort of pretending to be a tree and doing Shakespeare. What they're actually doing is they're showing you how to sit, how to stand, how to breathe, how to move in a way that gets rid of all the habits, all the behaviors that have been building up during your life and just bringing you back to a kind of blank canvas so that you can effectively be any character in any play and tell any story. And I was fascinated by this, particularly the physical and the vocal and storytelling elements. And, uh, and so moving from there, I just happened to be talking to uh, my hairdresser one day, saying to him, you know what, this is the stuff I'm really passionate about, this is what I'm doing. And he said, if I give you a free haircut, could you teach my, uh, my hairdressers how to be more effective communicators? And I said, no, there's no way I could do that, I've never done that. <laughs> and they said, when are you gonna come back? And I'd just given them everything I could think of, but I devised some more and I devised some more. And in the meantime, uh, somebody who is the head of an engineering company gave me a phone call. And he said, hi there, I hope you don't mind. I've been given your phone number by my hairdresser. And they've said you're this international expert on communication and that you've got everything that my team would need to learn about communicating well. <laughs> and so could you come and teach my team? And how much do you charge? And I thought, well, I charge a free haircut. So I'm not really sure what why you want to pay me. Uh, and so I, you know, I asked him uh, to, to pay me more than a haircut. I went to train his team and therefore began my, my business. I got a website up and it just rolled from there. One job led to another job. I then had to increase and diversify what I was teaching, but all around that area of communication and eventually getting to the point where 19 years later, that I, since I uh, set up the company, uh, we now train about 10,000 people a year and we go all over Europe and the Middle East and Asia and America and, and Australia and across to Sweden. Uh, yeah. So we get to go all kinds of interesting places with people. That was a long and a good story. That was actually really interesting to listen to. Yeah, it Great. was like a quote I saw on Instagram. It was, it was something along the lines of like, you'll never get started unless you like start when you're not ready or something like that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, in, in the early days, people would come to me and say, uh, you know, could you, can, can you do this project? And in my head, I was thinking, I've never done that before. There's no way. But there was a friend of mine who had a business. Uh, he, he ran an events company. And he, he put it to me like this. He said, if someone came to him and said, could you put 70 monkeys in a tree? Uh, they'd say, absolutely. There is no question. Then they'd go and figure out how to get 70 monkeys. In Not the, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So which, which happened to us very early on. You know, back in the days when um, pay-per-click advertising was really effective on Google, I paid five pence. Uh, I think it was, maybe it was 20 pence, uh, so virtually nothing, to, to get my ad to the top of Google. And this company got in touch and said, hey, we're doing this international conference. We'd need 10 people on your team to come and work with us on it. Uh, could you do it? I said, yeah, absolutely. There's no question that I can do that. And then I needed to go and find nine other people and train them up to do what I do. 
And um, I remember it, at the end of that event, there was 100 people that we were speaking to. It was massive pressure, and we did a really good job. And I remember being in the airport on the way home, coming from home from that event, and just bursting into tears because of all the stress relief of the <laughs> event, but also thinking, this is going to be my future. I, because yeah. I embraced something that was far bigger challenge than I was actually ready for, I was able to achieve something where, where people are walking away from that fulfilled by what I did, and I've realized how to grow a business to a much bigger level than I ever realized before. So, uh, yeah, I'd absolutely embrace that idea. of You're never quite ready for it, and that's okay. Yeah, that is really pushing your comfort zone. Right? I saw another <clears throat> picture. It was a. Uh, it was two circles. You know, when a part of them overlap, mm. and it was like, what was what was it? Comfort zone and uh, like improvement, and that you can't really just have. You can't just be in the comfort zone. You really have to push yourself to improve. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I often say this to people that everything you want in your life that you don't currently have is outside of your comfort zone. If it was inside your comfort zone, you'd either have it already uh, or uh, you, um, you just don't really want it that much. So if you really want something and you don't currently have it, it must be outside your comfort zone. So you're going to have to do things that you're not going to be comfortable doing, but it'd be worth it uh, when, when you get there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole podcast in a, in, a, in a way is like a big social experiment of helping Ivan and Shola to expose them to meeting interested people like yourself and actually see that, it's all right. I've been talking to lots of business leaders from all over the world and uh, it just works because people like to speak and people like to listen generally. It's like, yes. uh, yeah. it's like when we had an interview here with Grant Cardone, I was pretty nervous. I was not prepared and it went really good. And since then, like it, it pushed my comfort zone so much higher. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest benefit that me and Charlie will get from this podcast is actually learning just to talk to uh, random people who we don't know. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I've certainly experienced that with working with clients all over the world where um, I realized this very early on in my career where I started working with, uh, as part of our work, a Formula One team where they would have clients coming in from all over the world, some, some VIPs, some famous people, and, and they would, in a hushed way, pull me to one side and say, hey, look, this person's coming in and they're really, really important, so you've got to make sure that you're good today. I thought, well, frankly, I'm going to make sure that I'm good every day. I'm not going to be yeah. better because it's some VIP. I'm just going to be as good as I can possibly be every day. And that, that sort of settled my nerves in a way. It was just like a work ethic of thinking, well, every day I'll be respectful and kind and do my best job. And so therefore, it shouldn't matter to me who, who is in the audience. I think that's really helped me throughout my career as well, just knowing that, you know, sometimes I've had, um, I've had clients come up to me saying, well, today, you know, you're going to have this audience, they're going to be really tough. Uh, there's some important people in here <laughs> who will feel that they don't really need this training. I've just learned to think, do you know what? Everybody's a human. Essentially, they're just a human. Putting them on a pedestal isn't going to help my interaction. I may as well just aim to interact with them as one human being connecting to another. And that's what's going to work for the, uh, for the connection. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, no, I co completely agree with that. Well, try to put people on the same level. It's yeah. really useful. I, I remember a time I had a, a South Korean general. He was my direct report. And, uh, and everyone else was seriously intimidated by just his presence. And his yeah. authority even more so. Uh, and, and the only reason why I earned his respect beyond doing a good job was that I took him on the same level. I mean, at the end of the day, pretty much the same age as my, my dad. Uh, and I can be on the same level as my dad, so why not with him? How, how do you try to meet people on the same level, whether they are higher or lower, regardless? 
How do you do that? Um, meeting them on the same level. I think it's, you know, it comes down to the fact that, that there's, there's certain laws of human nature. There's certain things that we all need that we're all driven by. And, and so if you can just figure out, uh, you know, connect with what does this person care about? What, what's important to them? Get to know them on that level. Uh, that, that they'll appreciate and respect that. Where uh, I, I like this story from, have you come across the book, The Third Door, uh, which is by Alex Benayan? Uh, this is it's a really good book uh, to read. I definitely, Charlie and Ivan, I'd recommend this for you. I think he's sort of written it for uh, sort of uh, young, aspiring uh, entrepreneurs who are sort of st- people starting out their career and what to do. Uh, and he was saying that um, he 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 got in touch with Tony Shea, who who's the um, the founder of Zappos, the shoe company in in the US. And uh, he, so he's, you know, he's respected, admired. He's written a best-selling book. He speaks at conferences and he's created this amazing sort of legendary company. And he just got in touch with him and said, hey, do you know what? I'd love to come to your business and just, just shadow you for a day. Just see what it is you do. And he said, okay. And uh, while he was doing that, uh, and during the course of that day, some employees uh, at Zappos would come up to this guy, Alex, and say, hey, how did you, how did you manage to get this opportunity to... Uh, shadow him for the day and he said well I just asked yeah. that, that was all and then, and then he said to um, said to Tony Shea at the end of the day how come it is that nobody else has done the shadowing with you before he said well nobody asks me yeah. nobody's just uh, come up to me and said hey would that be all right uh, so I, I think that understanding everyone's human we, we all have you know even even if there's somebody who you see on Instagram or on YouTube who seems to have this extraordinary life and everything's going well for them and they do these amazing speeches and they have these brilliant photographs everybody has down days everybody has moments where they haven't got it together and actually this is I think this is more important as a point these days in in the age of social media uh, for people to realize that we're not putting the negative stuff uh, out there as our sort of life story or the perception of it. So it becomes even more a sense of, well, everybody else seems to have their stuff together and I don't. But I think the truth of it is, no matter how successful people seem to be, uh, they, they may be uh, just having a, uh, a different quality of problem or a higher quality of problem, or they just, you know, they have a nice suit and a limo when they arrive at their problems. But they, you know, we still all have challenges uh, in our lives. And so if we connect with each other on a way that seems real, but if you just meet them and speak to them as one human to another, they're much more responsive. Yeah. Or is there any questions that springs to mind? No, 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 I'm just really agreeing with what you're saying, that you have to bring them on the same level and just pushing your comfort zone. I just think really useful stuff so far. Yeah. And there was another thing. Um, We have a thing in in my school called uh, Modern Family, which is basically everyone in the school uh, gathers in the church and we we have the, 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 uh, the teachers talk about different things. And today it was... It was like about a book written about by some girl who has like a really big following on Instagram and a big YouTube. And the book was called Ibland Moin Sobra, which means uh, sometimes I don't feel very good. And it is that even if you do, like we aren't exposed to that. No one is perfect all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great message that she's decided to do that. And if I sort of track that into um, the work that I do as well, uh, this is something where, you know, I, I teach people about what is one of the greatest fears that people have, which is, you know, how do you stand up in front of a large audience and, and be uh, confident and compelling? And um, it's, it's funny for me that 
I, I came from a background of, of just absolute fear of, of uh, public speaking and communication. And I've just worked out a bunch of strategies that, that work for me, that work for my clients, that I've devised and honed across the years that allow me to get on stage in front of a thousand people uh, for a few hours and, and thoroughly enjoy the process. And people will come up to me and say, oh, you know, you're clearly a natural at that and I never could be. And I have to say to them, no, 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 let me just show you. I'm coming from probably a worse state of fear than, than you've, you've ever had in this area. But it's okay. We're all the same. We all have some kind of fear uh, in those areas, some more, some less. But if we put these strategies into place, uh, you know, everybody can get to that place that they want to be. And so don't ever think that if you think that someone at the front of your boardroom or someone that you're being interviewed by seems so confident and they've got everything together, actually, they may be just as nervous as you would be in that situation, but they've got certain techniques or strategies they've learned that allow them to succeed uh, in that area. And if you just uh, have a conversation with them and say, well, what are, what are the strategies that, that I could use in this area to be successful, to allow myself to do that, then some people will, will be really generous and just open up and say, hey, this is the stuff you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. said something like do whatever it takes to extrovert like his tips for introverts was <laughs> whatever it takes to extrovert and that's what you mean like, you, you don't have to be a natural at it you just have to learn yeah no that's, that's a good, good point Ivan uh, I, I thought that that was a pretty pretty badass because I was like oh it's going to be some magic secret no it's, it's just straight up I mean like <laughs> You just you have to do it anyway, even if you're not a natural. Yeah. That's it, and you can learn. I, I do. I do think that you can learn stuff too, and uh, it clearly works. I mean, you have uh, probably with communication. It's the big transformation. Uh, so uh, one of the pieces that I come back to again and again on communication is uh, what I'm really keen for people to know is that actually all of us are naturally good communicators. Uh, this really stood out for me by in the book uh, by Yuval Noah Harari on called Sapiens, which I think is sold more than a million copies, where he says in there, like, what, why are we the number one species on the planet? This doesn't make any sense. We're not the fastest. We can't outrun a squirrel. There's, we, we're not the fastest. We're not the strongest uh, by any means. But what we're extraordinary at doing is connecting by the millions, uh, communicating by the millions to agree on using currency and to agree on government or to agree on the borders around countries. Now, none of these things exist. The United Nations doesn't actually exist. It's not a rock or a cave. It's something that we've created by lots of humans, millions of us saying, okay, this is going to be Sweden from now on, and this is going to be the Euro, and this is going to be what human rights are. And so be between us, we've all done this because we are the greatest communicators. That's why, as a species, we've been successful. We, we communicate with each other in a way that no other species can. And so I use this to say to people that, Sometimes people say, well, I'm not a natural communicator or I'm just a quiet person. Uh, and I'll say to them, well, you know, think about it when you were the moment that you were born. You didn't uh, in that moment say, oh, I'm quite, quite an introvert, really. I'm quite a quiet person. But if anyone can hear me, I'd quite like some milk. Uh, we don't do that. When we're, when we're tiny, actually, we just sort of scream the building down and someone brings us what we need. And eventually, as we go through our lives, uh, certain events, uh, situations happen around us. Uh, that move us to a position where uh, we, we build up habits and behavior and what I call armor as well that can get in the way of our ability to communicate. And we start to think, well, maybe I'm not a natural communicator. Uh, but I found actually, you know, through the coaching that I've done of nearly 60,000 people now, I think it is, that actually often, you know, people who are introverts, I'm very highly introvert if you look at any measure that, that I do on that uh, scale, 
introverts can be as compelling, if not more so, in many of the companies I go to than the extroverts because they just sort of learn the system that I'm teaching them to go, okay, I'll get up and I'll just do that and they can be extraordinary. And so often what it's about is uh, if you want to be really successful in that area of communication and connecting is just figure out what are the habits you currently have that feel in your comfort zone and just put those to one side and come back to your raw ability as one human to connect with another human being. And then suddenly all of your potential can, can come out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. So uh, I was thinking about uh, linking to one of the articles, which is on your um, website. It's linked uh-huh. to communication styles and something I've been using a lot because I've been teaching in a similar way as you all over the world, uh, more linked to sales and the sales communication. So not too different. And it's uh, by uh, Marie Ben and uh, talk about how we take messages on board. So everything from like the voice to the actual words to the body language. And uh, I'm sure that you're familiar with what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about at the moment. Uh, how does that come across in your own training? Like the actual words don't really matter that much as you identified already when you were in that uh, monastery. Uh, to like how we use the voice, how we go up and down and slow and silent. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so, so there's a few things to say around that. So firstly, uh, you know, a lot of people have heard the statistics uh, that came from a study in 1968, I believe it was, by Albert Morabian, where he, the study uh, was talked about in the, in, in the media and has been talked about for decades, saying that 7% of communication is words, 38% is tone of voice and 55% body language exactly. uh, now the part of the story that a lot of people don't know is that albert Morabian was on he was on the radio bbc radio about uh, 2010 where he was saying look these these statistics have been taken way out of hand people have <laughs> said they mean way more than they actually do do and what he essentially said in that study is that um if you say to someone uh would you like a cup of coffee and they're only allowed to answer using the word maybe if that's the only word they're allowed to use, how do you judge their response? Are you judging how you feel about their response of if they want a coffee or not? Are you judging that based on the words, the tone of voice and the body language? And people said, well, I'm not judging much on the words. The person can only say maybe. I'm judging a fair amount on the voice and more so on the body language. And so he said that's that's kind of skewing the results. So for for me, the way that I put this uh, together for people is that I don't think there's been a, a better definitive study Uh, done more recently but the way to think about it is very simple that uh, you can say the right words and get the wrong reaction if the delivery isn't working so you can have the the most perfect speech the most perfect sales pitch the best product in the world and still people won't listen to you and they won't buy it if the delivery is off equally if you've got an amazing delivery if your body language and voice is so utterly compelling that people could listen to it for hours but you've got nothing to say then they're not going to take action So we've got to make sure that we've got both. And there's no point saying, oh, well, it's just the words and it doesn't really matter how you come across. Just Some people say, just be yourself, just be authentic. Uh, But actually, that's not going to work either. You've got to make sure that you've figured out uh, how to put your words together in a way that compels people to listen. And also, you've got to then make sure that your body language and tone of voice is matching the message. I'm really, really excited about um, my job. I'm very passionate about this project. And I want to talk to you about um, a presentation I'm really inspired by. And I think, well, your face and body language isn't telling me the same thing. So nobody's going to believe you. 
So you've got to make sure you have this congruency. So uh, the best description I can give people, if we go back to the story that I mentioned about the monks, uh, is that when I was working with them, if I was teaching them the word excited, if I didn't look excited or sound excited, they had no idea what the word was. I could have been saying pineapple. They had no idea. So I had to be 100% congruent in everything that I was doing. And essentially what I'm teaching people to do uh, day to day is to bring, bring back that congruency. So people get a mistake around this where they say, well, I should be authentic. And what they mean is I should just be comfortable. I should sort of be all of the bad habits that I do day to day. I should just do all of those things when I go into that meeting, pitch, presentation, uh, whatever it is. And often I'll say, what you think feels authentic is just a lot of bad habits. Yep. I need to pull those back and get you to a place where you're more aware of how you're coming across uh, so that um, you're able to be congruent, so that you're able to match body language, voice, and words. And that's when you've got this magic thing called charisma or presence, where everything's working together. Yeah, yeah I watched uh, a YouTube channel called, I think it was Charisma on Command, and he analyzed why people don't believe in, what is it, Mark Zuckerberg, who, who Facebook, yeah. Facebook guy. Like, he, <laughs> he doesn't have the best charisma, but, I mean, he, he's saying all the right things, but... Yeah doesn't have the best like body language yeah. and communication skills and therefore people like it's something's missing when he talks he feels a bit off maybe mm. and that's yeah I, th I think you can see that really clearly if you if you look at his uh he, he did i think was it the stanford commencement address or maybe harvard um uh, he did an address for uh, graduating students in the u.s and also when he was um uh, being uh, being questioned by by the government if you if you take a look at those videos there feels like there's there's a disconnect. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the key thing for people to keep in mind is if there's a disconnect, if your words go in one direction, the body language goes in the other direction, people believe the body language, not the words. It's never the other way around. Uh, they're never going to go, no, just ignore the body language and voice. The words seem to be right here. So let's just trust that. And, uh, you know, we can, we can track this all the way back to uh, when, uh, when there was the first presidential debate in the US that went on uh, television. Uh, where uh, this is when John F. Kennedy was campaigning to become president. And uh, people who listened to him on the radio said that they didn't think he was as good. But if they watched the TV, they said, oh, he's the standout candidate. It, it, yeah, it's absolutely true to say just having the right words isn't enough to succeed. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I also say to people that your CV, your CV will get you the job interview, but your communication skills get you the job. And you can't just go into the job and say, say the right answers to the questions because that's not the point we don't we don't have job interviews to hear the right answers uh you could just you, you could email somebody say please give me your answers to these questions or do it over the phone we have face-to-face -face interviews with people because we want to think you know we want to see the behavior around those answers and that's really what we're buying into yeah we want to create that connection with uh, with the person exactly. yeah uh, I, li I like to to link the communication to indirectly what we're doing here so using social media or platforms to communicate with others has become more and more and more popular with video across all platforms uh, over the last few years. Um, and then also podcast as uh, a theme and how to interact with other people is also increasing, but way slower than video. Would you like to take any kind of spin on why you think that's the case? That, that audio is increasing faster than video? No, no, podcast, but just pure audio versus like video. The videos are increasing way faster, uh, generally, I would say. The, the video is increasing faster? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that we are essentially visual creatures. So uh, the, I mean, some people say, well, I'm more visual, I'm more auditory, I'm more kinesthetic, but actually all human beings are more visual. There's, there's no question, that's how we're all physically wired. So the largest nerve anywhere in the human body is the optic nerve. Uh, connecting the, the brain with um, with our eyesight, and effectively, it's not actually a nerve; it's an extension of the brain. Uh, and so, if you think about that in comparison to when we we hear things, that's going in anything that we hear goes in through cranial nerve eight, or the vestibulo ocular nerve, and uh, that's uh, one uh, one twentieth the size of the optic nerve. So human beings are wired to get this super highway of information visually. We much prefer things uh, that are visual. Uh, and so, I mean, you'll even see this where, you know, people will watch videos uh, on, on, the, on the train or on a plane where they've got the sound off, but they're reading the subtitles and they're still yeah. being engaged uh, by that method. I, I do think, and I've, I've heard, um, are you aware of who uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is? Do you know who Gary yeah. V is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's talking about audio will take off voice will be the next big thing. And that's quite possible because there's a way of just connecting with devices where when you're in the shower and you think I've run out of shower gel, uh, you can just call to your Siri machine or your Google machine and say, hey, give me some more uh, shower gel. So, so I, I see that. But we are essentially visual creatures. I don't think that, that part of our, our nature is going to go away. And this suddenly, you know, the way that the human body works is rewired in some way. We, we much prefer visual things. Yeah, yeah. It actually, it reminds me, um, there is like an animation or, or like a GIF of like, um, uh, like two cable towers, whatever they called it, and they're like skipping another cable tower. And some people hear like sound of when it, they crash into the ground, like a, uh, well, they, they, see the, they see the video and they hear, uh, but it's all in their brain and it comes from the visual. If you would have only uh, he uh, heard, then um, then you wouldn't even know where it was. So that was a bit interesting that the brain can connect so much visually. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if we if we hear something, our instant reaction is to turn around and actually look and verify what what is that. Uh, you know, hence the phrase "seeing is believing." If we hear something, we're sort of suspicious. Is that wait? Was that a door creaking or was that a lion? I'm not quite sure what it was, but I need to <laughs> see it in order to investigate it. I'm not going to quite believe it unless I've actually seen it with my own eyes. Um, so I think that's that's kind of a truth mechanism for for all of us. Yeah, uh, something I learned a long time ago. I don't know where the actual region is, but it, it probably goes way back to the whole, whole Greeks. Uh, when I say words leads to pictures, leads to feelings. How does that relate to your job? Yeah, I love that. That's, that sounds great. So I, I've got involved a little bit in speech writing and, um, and also I teach people uh, storytelling. And there's an amazing power that words have to create pictures. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, often we say to people, you know, you, you don't need to have PowerPoint slides and all this sort of stuff. If you just say the word imagine, you can start to create a picture in someone's mind. And that picture will then turn into the feelings that you need them to have in order to motivate them to do whatever they need to do. Uh, so, um, so absolutely, we, we like to turn words into pictures. In fact, I, you know, I've read that um, when we look at a word, what we're seeing is a bunch of small pictures that we then put them together in our mind and we turn that into, if the word is, you know, if it's horse written down, we then turn that into a construct and we go, oh, and then we see the horse in our mind. And we may have a feeling about really loving horses or we may have been kicked by a horse at some point. <laughs> and so suddenly that generates a whole range of feelings. Yeah. Uh, so oh, do, do, you, do you have a fear of horses over there? Is that... Uh, no, no. 
Yeah, I, I, it's my mom kind of forced me to do horse riding a well. But then after that, she didn't have. Uh, she felt bad for forcing me up. Yeah. <laughs> but connecting back to how how a, a written word translates yeah. into a picture, that is exactly why we can read books and, and, um, uh, and be really really engaged just by the black yeah. text. It it reminds me that uh, I don't know. I've heard it, but I've heard Harry that. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've heard that you remember stuff better if you visualize them. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's true, but it, it sounds, uh, sounds legit. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That um, it's, it's the visualization of something that is allowing that, that memory to happen. Uh, and so um, well, as I'm reading Harry Potter uh, series at the moment to my eldest son, Max, uh, and um, I'll say to him, we'll sort of talk about a character and we're on book five, and it's quite a big book. And then I'll, I'll say, hey, who's this? And he can imagine the picture he made in his head yeah. of what that person looked like and what they were doing the last time that we were reading the book. And it's that that brings him back in. So it's not necessarily the memorization of, of the exact words. I also talk to people about this saying, you know, if you've got an important speech uh, to, uh, to deliver, don't memorize every word. That's not the point. Is there, there's a journey, a story that you go on, and you can visualize that journey. And then all you have to do is go on that journey uh, in your mind. And, uh, you know, if you want to use some images behind you on a screen, then you can use those because they will prompt you and the audience to remember the story visually. And then you can show them those images 10 hours later and say, hey, what was the story I told you when you saw this image? And they'll tell you everything. But if you show them a, a, uh, like a PowerPoint screen with just bullets and words on it and you say, what was I telling you when I showed you this? And they'll say, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, because we, we associate so much in our memories to, uh, to images rather than words. Yeah, surely. What do you see in school? Do you see bullets or pictures on the board behind the teacher? Well, they actually teach us that we should have more pictures than, uh, than bullets. Yeah. <laughs> do, they, do, they, do they do what they say that you should do? Uh, actually, <laughs> I, uh, they really don't. They just have a bunch of small text and uh, it's a bit hard to visualize. Uh, well, I have another thing to say. I was teaching my friends uh, a thing in school, and they had a really hard time learning it. But as soon as I, I had it on my head, by the way. So as soon as I started drawing on the whiteboard and trying to teach them how all of this works, they started to understand and started to visualize the whole process and mm. um, connect the dots and so on. Yeah, yeah that, that's terrific. Yeah, actions speak louder than words. And uh, yeah, that, that's like... Another thing, when my mum teaches, she couldn't really, because she's a teacher as well, she couldn't really connect with them. But then it was about French and like binding verbs or something. And it was like something needs to be on either side of a certain type of word, something like that. And she, she compared it to an to a oxygen molecule, or not oxygen, a, a, a water molecule. And then with, with the little molecules on either side and then with the little atoms, and then uh, they could picture it in the head and understand. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, and uh, coming back to that point, you just made actions speak louder than words because people can say, uh, honestly, you can trust me, and then they do something untrustworthy. So we, we're always inherently looking for the action or the visual rather than words uh, to draw us into to what we believe. Um, and, and great that you were able to bring that to life by you know, using a whiteboard to create, it's effectively a collective visual that everybody says, we get the visual, therefore we get the message. And we yeah. talk about this with people who run team meetings all the time, where if you just talk through an agenda, that's all very well. But if people have an image in their head where they say, this is, this is what we're aiming to achieve as a team, as a company, this is what we're aiming to do for you. 
then suddenly, you know, it's, it's so much easier. And they do this in Hollywood all the time where they're trying to sell a movie and they say, uh, well, you know, basically this happens, then this happens. And uh, it's, it's, it's not working out for them. So what they do is they say, okay, think about it this way. It's basically like um, Harry Potter meets Avatar. People go, uh, okay, I think I'm kind of getting what you're going on about here. There's going to be aliens, <laughs> there's going to be broomsticks. I, I've, I've got it in my head. But if you go through a bullet point, uh, in a list of bullet points, it's not going to happen. So uh, allowing people to associate things through visuals is, is the best way to really connect with them and their imagination and their memory. P -p Picking your brains, looking for imagination uh, and, and ideas. Shirley loves to create video. And uh, how would you structure, just from a communication point of view, um, something that could actually go viral? What do you think is actually triggering the brain to, to make people like a video, whatever it might be? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a good question. And um, in some ways, making something go viral is, is something of a lottery. There's no yeah, guarantee. For you. But uh, in order to get people really hooked into it, uh, then there's, there's a journey that every human is looking for. Um, we, we like to make stories to make sense of the world around us because there's so much confusing stuff going on. There's something like 14 billion points of input happening around us at any, any one point. So to make sense of it, our brains use storytelling. And, um, you know, think about, you know, I, I, there's loads of people who are YouTubers these days putting up adverts where they'll, they'll pull up in their Lamborghini and say, hey, if you want to be rich like me, then keep watching this video. And they're not starting in the right place. That's not how a story works. <laughs> so everybody is, is completely compelled by stories. We cannot help ourselves. We will we'll look at YouTube, we'll look at Netflix, we'll turn on the television, we'll read books, we go to the cinema because we love stories. And sometimes we'll watch the same movie over and over again because we love the journey of the story. So the story that we're always looking for is called the hero's journey. It's yep. something that we are compelled by. So there's a few ways to think about this. Firstly, all great stories, they effectively start at this point of, of weakness or pain. You think everything is worse than it's ever possibly been, and then you reach a moment of euphoria at the end. Uh, so, you know, the classic example of this would be the Cinderella story where she's, she's in the basement, she's being treated really badly, she has nothing. The only, one, the only people that will talk to her are, are the, the mice that live in the basement with her. And then suddenly she goes off the ball and her life is better than ever. Then she has to leave and she's devastated because of the fact that now she knows she's never going to be able to do that ever again. And then she ends up in the fairy tale castle at the end. So that's the story that, that happens in every movie. It's a bit upsetting when you realize that because you go to the cinema and you think, okay, now what's going to happen? Things have gone well, so things are going to go really badly and it's going to get really painful, but things will be okay at the end. And we know that. And, and the reason that we tie into that is that that's the journey of being a human being. If you think about all of us, when we're born, we are incredibly weak and very fragile. We are reliant on everyone around us and we are screaming in pain a lot of the time. And then we gradually reach this stage at some point in our life, whenever that is, where we are at our sort of peak health, uh, peak vibrancy, peak power. And that will at some point gradually decline until the point at which we die, at which point we are released. So we either go to heaven, if you believe that, or we go to a state of peace or we are one with the universe. That's the journey of us. That's the journey of Cinderella. It's the journey of Harry Potter. It's the journey of a Star Wars movie. It's the exact same story. And so the way that you tell this story in, in business or in a video is that you can't start from, hey, hey, I'm going to change your life because that's not a story. Instead, there needs to be a point of pain uh, initially that really compels us. This is the current world, a current place of pain and challenge. And uh, if you talk to people along the lines of, 
you know, th this is a challenge I was experiencing. Other people experience it. Is this something that you're experiencing in that way? Not as formulaic as that, but starting from a point of pain where people think this person is talking about stuff that is the, this is the stuff that keeps me awake at night. I have to watch this because this person understands my pain. Not that they understand what I want in life, but they understand my current pain and challenges. And then you're compelled to watch. The second part of the story then is, you know, just imagine if everything could be so much better. Just imagine if you could have all these magical powers. This is the bit where at the beginning of Spider-Man, he's really weak and then suddenly he can jump from building to building. And you're sort of offering that up and saying, imagine we could go on that sort of story together in this video. And then, you know, all great stories need to have the rule of three. Uh, we don't like having seven acts, nine acts, 17 acts, a long list. There's always three. It's always a rule of three in storytelling. And so you take people on a journey uh, along the lines from, you know, this is the challenge that you currently have. This is where you could be. These are the three acts of that journey. And uh, at the end, uh, if you want things to go viral, it, it would ideally be something along the lines of, I really hope that's helped you. And if you think it would help somebody else, then share. So if you look at the second most viewed TED talk of all time, I think um, Amy Cuddy is up there. She's got about 40 million views, something like that. The number of times she says share, 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 share towards the end is unbelievable. And hence it sort of, you know, it went viral in that way because there was a sense of um, she's taken people on a journey. It's very personal, authentic, gone from pain across to a pleasure taking us through a, a little um, things that, are, that are seem practical. There's fun in there. There's emotion. It's connecting with us. And then we feel the need to share because we think I have to let somebody else, uh, somebody else go on this journey. Just like if you go to the cinema and you think that was amazing, you then say, I'm going to go again. Do you want to come with me? Because this, this is a journey I love so much. I'm sure that you'll love it as well. So it's that journey. It's the story that will really compel people to listen and compel them to share it. Excellent share. Excellent. Uh... The podcast name is Invest in You. You've clearly done so and you help others to do it as well. Just the statement, invest in you or invest in yourself, what does that mean to you? Uh, so for me, uh, what, I've, what I've spent my entire life doing is helping people achieve their potential. Uh, and so, you know, this started with me working with the monks, thinking they needed to connect with the broader community. They're living in exile in India and they needed to con connect with people. So I thought, I was really empowering them to be able to connect with more people. That's what I've been doing with my business ever since is just trying to figure out what is the blocker that's happening at the moment and how can I help empower this person? So whenever a client comes to us and says, would you like to work with us? I'm always thinking, you know, are you doing this because you really want to invest in your people or are you doing this because you want to tick something on the spreadsheet at the end of the year that says, you know, we, we gave people the training that they were asking for. So investing in you, I think is, you know, on a personal level that everybody should take a look at, the, at themselves uh, and get really clear on well, where are you at the moment? Where would you like to go and take the time that it, that it needs to invest in yourself to get there. Don't wait for it just to show up because it's not going to, you need to make sure that you're investing in yourself through whatever it, it is, you know, nourishing yourself, good exercise, good food, uh, good stimulation of the mind in order that you can be recogn uh, recognizing where are you now? Where do you want to go? How are you going to get there and invest in yourself in order to make that happen? Don't wait for someone else to do it, but really invest in yourself to, to go on that journey. Awesome. Perfect. Even a short, just think about one, one question each that you might want to ask. While you think about that, I'll ask you, Richard, what is the best way for people to find you online or in reality? 
so my, my company, if people are interested, is uh, ukbodytalk.com, ukbodytalk.com, and that's where we've got you know, a whole range of services. Uh, but if you just want to stay in touch with me on social media, then you can find me most places at Richard Newman Speaks. So Instagram at Richard Newman Speaks. And the place that most people stay in touch with me, I've got articles uh, all the time, is on LinkedIn, uh, which is where I'm Richard Newman Speaks. Uh, and lastly, if, if people want to take this learning to, to the next level, to, to invest in themselves uh, in some way, I've, I've got a book, uh, You Were Born to Speak, which is available on Amazon, hardback, Kindle, audiobook, uh, You Were Born to Speak. And um, as our way of giving back, every single penny of the profits is, uh, are going to three amazing charities. Uh, so it, I've put everything I can think of uh, that one of our clients called 30,000 pounds worth of training in this uh, little book that I've created yeah. and 15 videos that go with it. So you can invest in yourself and watch those one a day for 15 days to, to transform uh, your, your potential in this area. Sounds perfect. Then also the, the whole shared thing is something else also on your website as well. So yeah, excellent. Uh, even Ashali, uh, one yeah. of the last few questions, please. Uh, uh, We've been talking a lot about uh, the way you say something, not necessarily the way that you, uh, the words you say, but the way you say it. What about the words? Is there anything you can do with the words to make it stand out more, be more compelling? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I learned a huge amount on this from a guy called Max Atkinson, Dr. Max Atkinson. Uh, he uh, is, is seen as sort of the godfather of uh, speech writing in the UK. And uh, so I learned from him a tremendous amount about little uh, rhetorical skills, things that you can do uh, with your words that help compel people. So that a few things to look out for is contrast. We, we love things um, that have a contrast along the lines of ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So contrasting statements we like. Uh, we also like things that come in threes. Uh, we, we love um, people saying this, this and this. Or we like statements in threes, like, yes, we can. Or in the UK here, we have this campaign, Make Poverty History. So things that come in threes, we, we love that. Um, and alliteration. If you start uh, words with uh, the same letter, uh, then that compels us to listen a, a little bit. But I remember asking this of uh, John Favreau, who was uh, Obama's speechwriter for seven years, I think it was. And I said to him, are there any sort of rhetorical skills around the language that you particularly use day to day? Um, that, that uh, you know, Obama or you preferred? And he said, none of them. We, we didn't consciously use any of them. We just cared about the story. And if you could tell a compelling story, it didn't, the rest of it didn't really seem to matter. So even though if you go back and look at his, his speeches, you can see contrast in there. You can see the rule of three. You can see alliteration being used, all of those things. But at the base of it, it was always about what is the arc of the story? And that's what they went for. Excellent. Hang on. No, no, but I think I'm done. Another thing I was just going to connect with that is uh, the power of pause as well. I think Dad said something a little about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a, a, a hint it's tremendous. to 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 link link to you, you, Richard. How do you use pauses? Yeah, so uh, the the pause is one of those things that you cannot overuse it, but it would simply be if in the space of a pitch speech presentation or a story, there's a bit that you think this is the most important thing. And then putting a little pause before it and after it, it highlights it in our mind. It gives it space. 
uh, a bit like sort of having physical presence if someone is in front of you if you're giving it sort of that vocal presence that space you're saying this message really counts by putting space before it and afterwards and by doing so it allows our minds to take more time to process process that information than anything else I'd really say to people, you know, don't, don't overuse it because I've seen like some reality shows these days. They say, and the winner is, and then they pause for 20 minutes and then you finally find out who the winner is and people are getting a bit tired of it. But if you think this is the key thing, you get really slow until you get there and say, this is the main thing I need you to know and then tell them. And it's that little pause, that little break that tells the mind, pay attention. Something's changed. There's some silence. And part of the reason that's so important is that if you go through the jungle and you can hear all the insects and a little bit of animal noise in the background, uh, then actually you're safe because they're basically saying it's day to day as usual. And the time when you need to worry is when suddenly there's silence and that's when you know there's a big predator around. And so we're, we're attuned to prick up our ears. If there's ever a moment of silence, we think what is happening, pay attention. Uh, and so you can use it when you need to. Yeah, um, basically you're mixing it up and creating something different so that, so that you it's another technique to bring the attention, basically. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So using your, your own advice there. So uh, the, the power of three things here. So you've shared things that have been uh, entertaining, uh, valuable, but also actionable. So yeah, absolutely great. Uh, even Charlie, any last comments before we, we say thank you very much to... Uh, I, 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 yeah, I would just like to say, uh, say thank you because I've learned a lot. Me too. And uh, you've taken us on an amazing journey, basically. Yep. Thank you. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed it. So uh, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it too. Perfect. All right. So we, we will see, I will see you face to face in London, actually, uh, at the House of Parliament in not too f distant future. Great. Um, I look forward to it. Yep. Uh, and the boys will see you online. So thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening as well, the audience. And uh, goodbye, basically. Goodbye. Bye-bye.